When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to welcome back for the third time, Joshua Becker. He's got a brand new book out, and I've been excited and waiting to talk to him about this. The book's called Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. And as you'll hear in this conversation, the previous times Joshua has been on the show, we've talked about minimalism. Because that has been his focus and focal point of his work up till this point. And some would say, well, this doesn't sound like that. Yes, it is. It is a furthering of that dialogue. It is a diving deep. In fact, it's a broadening of the scope of his perspective on minimalism. And in this conversation, we talk about what it means to boil things down to the most important things. We talk about the survey that he did regarding people's experiences with areas of life when it comes to the eight common distractions to living a meaningful life. And we break down and talk about those eight distractions, fear, past mistakes, Happiness, money, possessions, applause, which is finding approval from others, leisure, and technology, not an unfamiliar topic, distraction from technology, to this podcast. I had a great time talking with Joshua about the content of the book, and this dialogue is just a furthering of the existing dialogue that I've had with him about his other previous books. This just continues on in that. This is a great kind of honing in and distilling down, you know, what are your priorities in life and how do you start to achieve them? And that is an oversimplified way to put it. However, that is in essence what this book is about and this conversation. So I'll just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Joshua Becker. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Joshua Becker. Joshua, welcome back. Well, it is good to be here. I don't typically get to hear welcome back. Usually people have me once and they're like, that's enough of that guy. So it's good to be here. Thanks. They, they go minimalism on you. <laughs> yeah, right. one, that's funny. one Joshua is enough. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I had to look it up. You've been on the show twice before. It's awesome to have you back. I'll link up to those other episodes in the show notes because I don't think that we're going to talk – I mean, again, you're very much about – a lot of people will be like, Joshua Becker, oh, yeah, he has to do with minimalism. That's true, but like that's not the only thing you're about. And in fact, that's why I'm really glad you came out with the new book called Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. And man, if there's not a loaded productivity title for a show right there. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, we've been around for – I think you were saying 10 years, something like that. That's unbelievable. So I suppose you'd have to look back and find our conversations. I've been writing about minimalism for 
13 years, uh, something like that. So I'm excited about this new book and kind of applying some of the thoughts and principles of minimalism to other areas of life. So looking forward to this. I love when I can have people come back and I can see the through line of their work and it's mm. it's on a forward progression. And so, you know, seeing this title doesn't surprise me from you at all because you've talked about minimalism and in your first book, The More of Less, and also the second one, The Minimalist Home. And we talked about both of those. And again, we're not going to really touch on the topics of those books or those conversations But I invite everybody to go check the show notes and go back and listen to those because they're well worth listening to. They're very connected. The the longer backstory of the book is I used to do a weekend retreat up in Northern California. uh, And this retreat center would have me come in and speak four times over the course of a weekend about minimalism. And so I would follow the trajectory, the why minimalism, why it's important, and then how minimalism. I would do a third talk on how to overcome consumerism in our lives. And then I use the Sunday morning to talk about, hey, there are other distractions that keep us from meaningful lives than physical possessions. And so Sunday morning, I would talk about money and I would talk about accolades and I would talk about a lot of the topics that come up in this book. And so that Sunday morning talk really was an extension of the conversation about minimalism. And then it eventually became this book probably five or six years after first doing that conference. Again, it doesn't surprise me because it stems from talking about distilling things down to their essence of what they are and deciding then, is it worth having in my life? I mean, that almost is a definition of minimalism right there from me that is probably different from what yours is. Although again, in the spirit of things, it's probably similar. And that's what this is. This is just saying, okay, there are things that also cause you to not have the life that you want to have or pursue the more meaningful life that you may not even be striving for. You might have settled, you might've acquiesced, you know? And Mm -hmm. this is a case where it's saying one, you can live well, you can overcome distraction and noise and the things that block out your having an intentional through line and path and story moving forward and improvement and rethinking those assumptions. Yeah, indeed. That's a great description of both minimalism and the, and the book. I'm not even sure what to add. I, (laughs) I really, I tried to work backwards a little bit. I remember when I first started blogging, Maybe the first viral article that I ever noticed online once I got into that world was an article written by Bronnie Ware, and it was called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And man, it went viral immediately. I saw it getting shared everywhere. And of course, I clicked on it because I wanted to know what the top five regrets of the dying were. And then I juxtaposed that story with a conversation I had with my grandfather who asked me to play a part in his funeral. And I just remember looking across the desk from a man who who didn't fear death, who didn't regret the way he lived his life and thinking, how do I get to that point? Like, how do I get to the point at the end of my life where I don't have regrets about how I lived, but I'm proud of how I lived. And uh, I think it comes down to, we get clear on what matters. We get clear on what is important and what is essential. And then we stay focused on that by 
removing anything that distracts us from it, whether it be possessions, which of course I saw in my own life or a lot of the other topics that I cover in the book. There's this through line, again, from where you've come from and where you've been going and what you've been doing. And I think for me, I'm curious, like, what was the solidification factor for you where you realized, oh, I've got my next book and it's not about minimalism? (laughs) Yeah, well, I I probably knew early. I probably knew after The Minimalist Home that I wasn't going to write another book about minimalism. I think I even wrote that in the book at some point and my editor questioned me on it. And like, are you sure you're not going to write another book about minimalism? Because you can't say this is your last and then write another one. Although I always think that, you know, the great athletes, I think a good way to get attention is to retire and then come back and say, you're going to come back and write another book or do another season. But anyway, these topics in the book came up pretty early in my life of pursuing minimalism. As I began owning fewer possessions, I started to see how this intersected pretty significantly with money in my life. If I was going to buy fewer things and own less stuff, then I wouldn't need as much money to support my lifestyle. And so I began wondering, like, not necessarily what is the point of money, but is there an enough point when it comes to money? Like, what do I do when I have enough money to live the life I want to live? And then this forced me to ask questions about work. Like, what is the point of work if it's not to make more money to go buy more stuff? And so really started wrestling with those things pretty early on. I started doing this weekend retreat five or six years ago. And that Sunday morning talk where I got into these topics and some others. And then it was actually a, I did the weekend retreat fall of 2019, went to a conference put on by Charlie Gilkey here in Phoenix. And literally the conference ended on a Sunday morning. I was at that workshop Tuesday evening and he asked a question of everyone in the room. He said, close your eyes. If you were to die today, what is the one project you would most regret not finishing with your life? And a mom next to me started talking about preparing her teenage kids for life. I would regret not having my teenage kids prepared for life. Another young lady talked about an art project that she'd been working on that hadn't finished. And immediately I thought of this book and I I thought to myself, I would regret not taking some of these topics and communicating them in a way that shows how money, possessions, fame, technology, leisure, how all these things can distract us from a meaningful life. And so literally by the end of that week, I had emailed both my agent and my editor and I'm like, do you think there's a book here? Is this something that you you think I should pursue? And they both agreed. Well, and, and you just basically mentioned those in the book, you call them the eight common distractions, one of them being possessions. Now, I know that, again, I'm trying not to apply or, or bring up the minimalism word too often here, or at least not much more past this point in the conversation. And again, for most people, when they think minimalism, they think like minimalist. They think less things, maybe having something to do with intention behind that, but more as an aesthetic, less as an approach to life and what that would even imply. You're applying that application to not just possessions, but that is literally one category of many, including a bunch of non-tangible things. I'll just list them up. You've got fear, past mistakes, happiness, money. Money's where it starts to kind of drift into the traditional minimalist talk. 
possessions as well. And then you've got applause, leisure, and then technology, which again is almost maybe a link into the traditional minimalist thing because it's a tangible thing in a way. So I'm curious, were there any other potential contenders or did you feel like this was a, a really good solid eight and fold the other ones inside of these? Um, uh, that is a good question. I'm trying to remember if I would have to go look at my really old sketched out notes. If there were different ones that got folded into, I know that we added some, we did a survey and got some information. I uh, began talking to other people, some trusted friends and mentors, and even people at the publisher about the book and about the topics and some really good ideas came out of that. So the the first two, I talk about the distraction of fear that keeps us from going after goals. I think fear keeps us from living to our highest potential. And so that was a new chapter, the chapter on regret or past mistakes. And by that, I talk about both mistakes that we've committed and mistakes that were committed against us, how that can become a distraction. Those were two that were added once I, I got into the book a little bit more. So I think the the last five or six, uh, the last six, we're always going to be there, maybe rephrased them a little bit. I can't remember one that I specifically folded into another, although it, it might be possible. So obviously the goal here is to live that no regrets life, to move forward and deal with these things. I, I think people passively, and for that matter, sometimes actively, are, you know, anesthetizing themselves to these things or, in other words, believe a lie or a soundtrack, as John Acuff talks about, that this is the truth, I can't be happy or, you know, I need to have possessions or I need the applause, I have to have the latest piece of technology and or other things or, I you know, fear, past mistakes, all of these things are very intangible and so it's hard to wrestle with them. Yes, I agree. I agree entirely. And my goal with the book was, number one, to start raising these questions in people's minds or to to at least introduce the thought into people's minds. When I tell people the title of the book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, they almost immediately say, that is a book I need to read. And I know they're thinking, because I look at my phone too much. I spend too much time scrolling social media. I'm too busy with all these different things going on in my life. So that was always going to be a a chapter in the book because it's a pretty significant distraction that we need to talk about. But I think when they pick up the book and they start reading it, they start realizing that I'm talking about a lot more heart issues, more societal, cultural distractions that I forget who it was, but someone once said culture is the soup that we're all swimming in. And so like it, it just feels normal. Like it feels like this is what life looks like until you step outside of it and you're like, Hey, wait a minute. There's a different way to live and offer some practical steps and some ideas to begin addressing. Hey, is fear keeping me from my highest potential? Am I being handicapped by? regret and past mistakes? And is it keeping me from the future that I want and I I should be living? Am I a little too focused on money when I don't need to be? Does the desire for praise and applause motivate me more than I thought it did? And so raising the issues, offering some thoughts on, hey, here's how we begin confronting these things in their book. But someone once said, each of these chapters could be a book in themselves, like a whole book on overcoming 
regret or overcoming fear or, you know, minimizing your possessions. And I'm like, every chapter can be its own bookshelf in a bookstore. And it really is. And so if I can just begin the conversation in someone's mind and raise some questions and, and raise some thoughts and Hey, you know what? I, I resonate with that. I, I hadn't considered how fear might be keeping me from the, the best life that I could be living. I, I need to look more into that and um, find more resources. It feels to me like this is the beginning of a conversation or a mm-hmm. starting point for many people on a path that, you know, they may find that certain ones of these, these eight common distractions aren't really an issue as much for them, but like say number two or number six are. And so they can start to dig deeper into those now that they're aware. Yeah. Like my favorite responses that I got from the book was someone who emailed and said, I had no idea that we were going to get into these topics. And it, it really has got me thinking, or I had to stop after each chapter and just think a little bit more about how I've been living. And if this distraction was more prevalent in my life than I ever considered, I hadn't thought of things this way before. That's really my hope. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, speaking of the way people think of things, for this book, you actually had a national survey commissioned about people's experiences with these areas of life, these eight common distractions, what were some of the findings that came back from that survey? Oh man, some of them are just, some of them confirmed what I already assumed and others really were even changed how I wrote the book and and how we, how we laid out the book. Yeah. Some of the ones that I think were, were most interesting that I'll just mention 77% of people feel that they are spending time and resources on less important things than the things that matter most to them. 
which means in my mind that 77% of people should be reading this book, which is a pretty large target audience, but it's very prevalent, which probably, you know, goes back to people saying, oh, that's a book I need to read. You're right. Like I, I can see that I'm wasting time and I'm wasting money and I'm, I'm wasting days on things that don't actually matter in the long run. 80% of people said that they will be happier if they have more money, which I expected to be true. And so there's a pretty significant chapter on that. of people say they'll be happier if they have more money. 70% of people say that they are motivated almost daily by their desire for more money or their need for more money. That's a pretty pretty high percentage of people that they're motivated by the pursuit of money. Very interesting. The most heartbreaking one, I remember where I was. I was in my office. I got the email back with the spreadsheet with the results and I, I started scrolling through them and literally stopped me in my tracks 61% of people say that they are held back from the future they want because of mistakes they've committed in the past. And 56% of people say that they are held back from the future they want because of a past mistake committed against them. That is 61% and 56%. And I'm sure there's some overlap there, but man, that is a lot of people who can articulate and can point to something in their past that keeps them from the life that they want to be living. And it was literally heartbreaking to see that. And that's just the people who who can recognize it. A lot of potential, a lot of potential being bottled up and people feeling somewhat constrained by something from their past. Yeah, man. Well, so let's, let's dive into that one real quick. So, you know, someone who feels held back by their past mistakes and some of us have dealt with them and we're aware of them others not so much but how do you you know help someone move forward and move forward doesn't need to be like okay we squared that away it needs yeah. to be a inching forward how do we move the needle a little bit for those people yeah so the way i solved it in the book because again uh, entire bookshelves and years of therapy and counseling and right like like goes into this and i realized that to be the case the move that i encourage people to take in the book is to turn and face the problem a ceo once told me good leaders run towards problems They don't wish them to go away. They don't just hope they're going to go away, but they see a problem and they go address it and they face it and they, they figure out what steps they need to take to, to solve it. When I was in college, I was listening to some radio call in show, some advice show, and someone had called in about something that happened in the past and they didn't know how to deal with it and they regretted it. And the show host, I I don't remember any of the details other than what the sentence was. The show host said, You can't change your past, but you can learn from your past and you can redeem what happened by forcing it to serve you as you learn from it. And it was, it was brilliant. I got the phrasing all butchered up there, but like the, just the realization, Hey, I can never change what happened in the past, but when I learn from it, it becomes my servant. Like I, I can redeem it in some way because it changes who I am for the better going forward. And so that that certainly looks very different to different people based on, you know, what exactly it is we're talking about. Some mistakes are small. Some mistakes are reoccurring. Some mistakes were incredibly life-changing. Sometimes it was evil 
downright evil that was committed against us. And so sometimes it was societal and sometimes it was from an individual. And so by nature, by another person. Anyway, so just a, a lot of different facets to that. But I would, I would encourage people, I would say you turn and face it somehow in, in some way. And if, and if you're among the 60% that would say, Hey, something in the past is keeping me from the future, then, then don't run from it and, and don't hide it and just say, what steps do I need to take to overcome this going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I think that a big differentiator between common practice and what you're suggesting is this turn and face it. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. Acknowledge it. Have awareness of it. And if you have not dealt with it, start to learn how to and make inches towards it. Again, it's not a one massive project with a giant check mark that you can just say, okay, check, that's done. It's lots of little check marks that are going to yeah. take to to deal with that and, and cultivate a better, more healthier perspective and outlook and life. Yeah. And don't resign yourself to, well, that's just who I am and it's never going to change. Like I'm, I'm never going to have the future I want because of this thing that happened in the past. You know, your future will look different than, I mean, I, I don't even think that's the right phrasing, but don't resign yourself to this isn't, this isn't something that, that I can overcome uh, in my life. Yeah. The kind of resignation or, or quitting or again, the, the lie that you believe of nothing can ever get better. Mm-hmm. And you just move forward with that and just live with that assumption, live with that being your truth, and then it becomes the truth. Unfortunately, self-fulfilling prophecies work both ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, I think that there's also the other piece to it that I think it, it kind of ties into it. One of the other eight common mistakes ties into the past mistakes, which is the first one, fear. You know, when it comes to past mistakes – or the lack of dealing with them. And matter of fact, I like that you you start with fear because all the rest of them kind of hinge on overcoming fear to a certain point. Yeah, indeed. The story behind fear was, uh, it was one of the first conversations I had with uh, with a mentor of mine, someone I look up to in life. And and I told him about the the book and my premise for the book and my idea. And I said, what do you think? Like, what do you think? What do you see? What do you think keeps people from living their their most meaningful lives? Or what do you think people look back upon their life and, and regret? And he said, uh, he said fear. Like he didn't say possessions. He didn't say money. He didn't, he didn't say applause. Like all the things going on in my head. He said, I think fear holds back a lot of people from reaching their fullest potential and bringing the the greatest amount of good into the world for the the greatest number of people and fear of failure he said this one he said fear of losing what they already have keeps people from from taking risks in life and man the more i read the more i looked into it the more i talked to people the more i began to see not just how how prevalent this distraction is. I could go back and look in my own life and see how fear had kind of played itself out in, in my life and it kept me from from trying some things. But the different ways that it works itself out, you know, just the, the fear of failure in and of itself doesn't just mean that we never try something new. The fear of failure sometimes means we we set low expectations for ourselves because if I don't have a lofty goal, if it's just a, an easy goal for me to reach, then uh, there's less chance that I'm going to fail. Fear of trying again. I interviewed someone for the book, his, his stories in the book, how the more successful he became, the more prevalent his fear of failure became. 
which was just really like a eye-opening, mind-blowing conversation for me. How I assume the more successful that you become, the less you fear failure. But for him, it was he was afraid of, of failing and the higher he climbs in every organization and the more responsibility was given to him and the more people noticed him and the more attention he received in every organization, the more the fear of failure would cripple him. And he said, I've left every good job I've ever had because I was afraid that someone would eventually find me out that I'm not actually good at doing what I do. And so Again, a important topic and a, a wide ranging one. And I, I learned a lot through it. And I even share some pretty open and honest stories about fear in my own life. I can look at both careers that I've had in life and trace fear to being something that didn't ultimately keep me from pursuing those careers, but fears that I had to overcome to do what I'm doing now. Yeah, I can identify with that. That's something that Unfortunately for me, fear is one of those things that I think would be higher on my list of these eight if I were to you know, rank them. And I can identify with that story, too, where you can move from thing to thing and uh, you've got the position and, you know, in a sense, possibly promotion and more responsibility. And you just become a fr- I mean, it's fear of heights, but in a success way, in a sense. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So. But let's not leave fear, though. Let's let's talk about, well, like, okay, in the same way that somebody's dealing with past mistakes, let's talk fear for a second. Let's say, one, is it owning the fear? Is it acknowledging the fear? Like, what is that first step, first few steps even, in learning to, one, live with it? Because honestly, to a certain extent, it never goes away. It's more how yeah. you deal with it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think any of these eight distractions in the book, fear, mistakes, selfish pursuit of happiness, money, possessions, accolades, leisure. Like, I don't think any of them ever go away. We, uh, we, in some cases have to battle them every single day. But when it comes to fear, you know, I, I contributed a chapter to a a book. Uh, It was a compilation book someone was putting together and it was all about overcoming fear, kicking fears rear end, or I I think he used a a different word. And uh, he asked me to contribute a chapter and I said, I can write a chapter on fear, but I'm not going to say that, hey, fear is never good. Like, I'm not going to say the goal is we just have to punch fear in the face and that this is how we, this is how we overcome fear because I think fear can, can be, well, we know fear can be motivating. You can look at about every political campaign over the last, as long as I've been alive and know that fear can be a powerful motivator. The question is, are we afraid of the right things? So the point that I, that I want to try to make is I think rather than fearing failure or fearing success, or fearing, you know, putting ourselves out there, fear of rejection, whatever it might be. Like the fear that we should have is we should be afraid of not living our most meaningful lives. Like we should be afraid that we don't live our lives to the highest potential. We should be afraid of settling for a mediocre life when we can actually accomplish a lot of good for other people. And a lot of the book is about serving others and helping others, however that looks, if it's serving your family or if it's leading a nation, like it it looks very different for different people. But like, I think that should be the fear that motivates us. And then 
you know, in practical ways, I think recognizing it and noticing it and then taking small steps to to overcome it. You know, when you have a safety net in place, it's easier to overcome fear. Uh, if you have a, you know, a stable family, it's easier to to overcome fear if you, you know, have some have some security in place. And so how do we do that in in small ways and and in, in practical ways? And I, I talk about becoming leaving my full-time job to becoming a writer. And, you know, part of that fear was you know, fortunately, my minimalist life allowed me to to save up some money and have a little cushion there that uh, if it didn't work out, then I would have time to to learn that. And so, and not that I think that money helps us overcome all our fears, but what are the steps that we need to take to to begin overcoming some of them? One of the other things that is interesting to me is you can have fear and have past mistakes about the other things on the list when it comes to happiness and money, possessions, applause, leisure, technology. So I like that those two are the first two. Those are the front-loaded common distractions. Almost a lens to look at some of the other ones through. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd love to even hear you share more about that. I separated them out a little bit. Fear and past mistakes as a paralyzed will is what I call it in the book, as opposed to the pursuit of a lesser good, which is where I throw money and possessions and fame and trivial technology and, and those sorts of things. So yeah, uh, it um, it's in the right place. It's in the right place. Not not topics that I've I've written a lot about in the past, but it's it's certainly starts there and the, the other things flow flow from that for sure yeah well and we can jump in I, I think you know number eight and technology is kind of one of the ones where people it's a greatest hits in a sense of things we talk about on this show when it comes to productivity I think it also is something that because it is so ubiquitous and permeates our lives these days that it'd be great for us to maybe touch on that so specifically with that one, and the ways that, in other words, the ways that technology or how we can be more aware of the ways technology is affecting us, how can we be ahead of the curve and maybe do a, a quick pulse check in terms of needing like a digital detox? Yeah. How do we be ahead of the curve? That is a tough question. I think, well, number one, I think anyone who's asking the question intentionally is ahead of the curve. So number one, I don't... I don't say all technology is bad. Obviously, we're here today because of technology. I'm doing what I do for a living because of technology. And so I, I try to draw a line between creation and consumption. I can use technology to create good in the world and bring good into the world. For me, writing a blog post, for you recording a, a podcast, for others just I don't know, just complimenting a friend on social media or sending an encouraging email or connecting with a family member who lives on the other side of the country or the world. Like, like there's a lot of good that technology can bring. When it becomes a distraction, I think, well, certainly it can become a distraction. We can use it to pursue any of the other things on the list. But when it just becomes about consumption, when I'm just endlessly scrolling social media, when I'm just endlessly refreshing news media websites, when I'm just binge watching another season of something on Netflix or Disney Plus, like then I think we get to the end of our lives and say, man, why did I waste so much time 
watching television or just scrolling social media. And so number one, I think seeing a difference between creation and and consumption online and being intentional uh, about that distinction. But for me, Eric, I, I go back to, I encourage everybody to do a digital detox at least once, but preferably once a year. The first time I did it was for 40 days. I did it for 29 days. Uh, I've done it for just a couple of weeks. I would encourage everyone to take 29 days. We're heading into the summer. It's like the, the perfect time, at least if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, I guess you're, you're heading into summer. But take a month this summer and put it all away. No television, no social media. You're going to have to use technology probably for work. So you're going to do your email and you're going to do your, your work, but turn off the websites and do it for a month and just notice how much of a distraction it had become in your life, how you feel differently. At the end of the month, you're going to go back to television. You're going to go back to social media. You're going to go back to the news, but you're going to go back in a more intentional way. And I, I don't need as much as I did before. The first time you go back and waste an evening watching television, you're going to be like, you know what? That wasn't nearly as restful as I used to think it was. This isn't nearly as relaxing as it was just to sit out on the porch or read a book, uh, whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, a clear way of getting the pulse on a lot of things is taking a step away from it, doing a detox on a lot of things like technology specifically just across the board. But even if you were to apply that to say uh, like one of the other common distractions, like money, for example, we say, what if I just go for a while see how far I can go spending as little as possible. Like obviously pay the necessities, pay your bills and everything, but look at those bills and say, well, wait a second, is this a utility or is this a necessity, an assumed necessity instead of a real one? Yeah. So much of that idea just came from the different experiments that I ran in my own life concerning possessions as I was minimizing possessions and stumbled across Project 333, where you just wear 33 articles of clothing for three months. And I'm like, what's the harm in trying it out? Like, it sounds like it would be pretty helpful that we first got rid of television because cable raised the bill. And so we went for a summer with without any television and different experiments of shopping ban for 30 days or 60 days or whatever it might be. And usually the end result isn't that I never go shopping ever again. The end result is, man, I didn't realize how much my life was consumed by shopping. I didn't realize how much of my life was consumed by television. I didn't realize how much of my morning was spent picking out clothes to wear for the day and cutting those things out allows us to reevaluate kind of from a a fresh slate uh, as opposed to just the jarbled mess of, oh, I'm just going to try to cut out a little bit, not realizing how big of an impact it actually has on our lives. Yeah. And and not to get so granular and so nitty gritty and or meticulous about it, but your minutes are your hours are your days are your months are your, you know, life and years are your life. And, and so those minutes can be wasted. There's nothing wrong with, quote, wasting time, but there's also a lot wrong with wasting time at the same time, right? The argument isn't money is bad, praise is bad, rest is bad, our technology is bad. The conversation that I want to have isn't, hey, those things are bad. The conversation I want to have is when those become our pursuit, that this is when uh, I think we sell ourselves short. Like when my goal in life is 
I just want to make more money today. What can I do to make more money? What can I do to get more praise? What can I do to quit work as soon as I possibly can? Like when those are the goals and those are the things that we're striving for, then I think that that's when they become the distraction and just the conversation about rest and technology and, and consumption that there's nothing wrong with resting. There's nothing wrong with, you know, watching a, a television show or watching, you know, an, an NBA playoff game. The problem becomes when it begins to define my day and it becomes, it begins to define my life. And it's not, this is what I do for rest so that I can do better work tomorrow when it becomes, I'm just trying to get through work today so that I can go home and scroll social media and, which isn't restful. That's not restful. It may seem in the moment because of the endorphin rush, et cetera, and all the chemicals going on in our brains because of it that make it addictive. Television was around first. We'll get that. But uh, that those things that escape, there's a benefit to it. It has its own merits. But when it's autopilot instead of intentional, that's when the issues start to come up. Yeah, perfect. That's a great way to say it. Well, as we wrap up here, I mean, the book's out already. If anybody's already a fan of your work, then this is a real treat. And it's even more of a treat for somebody who's never read anything, because I think that they've got some cool stuff then to jump in on. You've already got two other books that deal with some of the eight common distractions here for, again, that continual journey of unpacking and pivoting into an intentional no regrets life. Yeah. I've been blown away by the number of people who uh, who have reached out that this is the first thing that they've ever read of mine. I really like how it turned out. For someone like you, uh, for someone who has read me in the past, it makes perfect sense. And it, it takes what I've been writing about and what I'm known for and really applies it to other areas. It also does it in a way that if someone has never read anything of mine before, I can connect with these with these topics and, and with these issues. I'm, uh, I really love how it turned out. So yeah. thanks for saying that. I, I can't wait for more people to get this in their hands and to go through it and start to unpack it. Where is the best place for people to dive a little deeper than just this conversation did in on the book and find out more? The book is uh, available everywhere. Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. It's available uh, physical, digital, audio, narrated it myself. So I guess if you hate my voice on this podcast, then that's trouble. But uh, most people seem to like the uh, the author narrating the book. So available everywhere in every format. And of course, my home base online is becomingminimalist.com and do a lot of different things. But everything seems to seems to run through there. Awesome. Joshua, I will make sure to link up to everything we mentioned in the show notes and point people to it. It, as usual, is awesome talking with you. Can't wait to do it again at some point in the near future. Let's do it again. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Joshua Becker and found it refreshing. I know that I did. I always love talking with Joshua. And in fact, he and I post-recording talked about the next time he will be on the show. We're not going to wait until the next book. That has been the pattern so far. We're going to break that pattern. We're actually going to have him back late this summer. I've got a bunch of different topics from this book and diving deeper into it as well as looking into more, an online magazine that he produces. You can check that out. You can find that listed in the show notes. But he's got a solid commitment with me. We're going to plan that out and get it on the books and record late this summer. But in the meantime, 
If you enjoyed this conversation, I would love for you to share it with somebody that you know needs to hear it. I will also link up to the previous conversations with Joshua in the show notes. If you would do me that favor of hitting that share button and sharing this episode with someone you know needs to hear it, you can do that in the podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this or hit the share button over on the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next episode.